0: Good Wednesday, everyone. Welcome to the Blue Water Climate Control BallQuest.com podcast. A little season rewind edition as we take a look at Tennessee's 28-10 win over Vanderbilt. Joined by Austin Price, Rob Lewis, and Jesse Simonton. Glad to have you along with us on this Wednesday. Hope everybody's having a great day. Guys, I guess this is officially the Eric Gray coming out party, Eric Gray game. Um, He was spectacular. Tennessee found a couple of running plays that worked extremely well for big plays. Uh, and that was the highlight of an offensive night that otherwise wasn't anything spectacular. It was rainy. It was bad. Um, but a, coming, a week coming off of a week away from the Missouri game where, you know, you have a record night throwing the football around uh, to start out the way they started out offensively, what was not great for Tennessee,
1: but Eric Gray made up for it with a huge night. Yeah, no trouble picking the MVP of, of this one. <laughs> and... You know, for Tennessee fans, they hope it's a coming out party. But how weird was it? I mean, it seemed, the coaches just seemed like they stumbled onto it. You know, the JG comes out; they throw it seven times in the first first two or three possessions. He, he's zero seven, and uh, you know, once Gray showed a little spark, it was it was funny to see how they just you know it was just a snapshot of that old saying: "Go with a hot hand." I mean, it was obvious they were going to feed it. Well, with I
2: mean, with 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 Ty beating up. You know, obviously Tim doesn't have some of the, the narcissism that, that, that Gray shows here. But on the, one of those touchdown runs, I mean, you could have driven a, you know, Pruitt's F-150 through the hole. Uh, and yet, even through some of his other runs, not including the long 90-something yarder, he was breaking tackles, which is something that he kind of talked about after the game, which is he lost his confidence. He realized he was kind of in his head. And to Rob's point about feeding the hot hand, he certainly gained that confidence in this game and just ran with it, AP. Yeah, no doubt. I I thought that for a
3: team that had gotten over the the hurdle of getting to a bowl game the week before, that way that made this game, you know, it was just kind of more cherry on top than it was, you know, anything else. They still come out a little flat trying to, you know, emulate what they were able to do in, in, in Columbia, Missouri, throwing the football.
1: That but wasn't it was, you know,
3: when when he found, yeah. But I mean, point being is like when he when he really kind of went boom, and, and, and took off, it was like the rest of the team just kind of relaxed. And, and at that point, you know, it just felt like there was no way Tennessee was going to lose the football game, and Vanderbilt wasn't very good anyway. But I mean, it just seemed like there was a a relaxed feeling. You go back and to at least when in rewatch, I don't even, I don't think it maybe felt that way that night, but in rewatch, it felt like there was just kind of a calm after Eric
0: started to get a little bit of a spark. Well, I mean, they they finally – I mean, Jared started – and they didn't throw it a lot, but he finally did start completing some stuff and made a couple plays on third downs to extend a drive. I mean, you go look at that opening possession. Dominic Wood Anderson's open. The ball's behind him. Um, Then he throws the interception. Ball's late coming out of his hands. Ball's inside instead of outside on an out pattern. He was just off. I mean, he was off to start the game. And I don't think the play calling I, – I was surprised that they threw it as much as they did. But but they had some guys open. It's just that was the Jared that Tennessee fans are hoping and, and praying that they don't see this fall. They're, they're, you know, and, and I think that was the thing that night was kind of maddening is he had been – he was so good the week before against Missouri. And I know Missouri had – injuries in the secondary, but, I mean, his ball placement was good. His timing was good. S- to start this game, you know, behind and late basically on two balls was, again, a head-scratcher, and that's the inconsistency with, J- the inconsistencies with Jared that-, that have everybody still wondering about 2020. And, but spinning it forward, Hubs, to your point,
2: um, what gives him the leg up for this job and the reason that he's not only the presumed starter because he obviously has the most experience, but it's because he, as he proved in this game, and as, you know, Pruitt talked about post-game uh, in this game, he checked them into the right runs. He did. And so his box score looks terrible because a week after throwing 10 completions over 20 yards, he didn't have a single one in this game, or just one, I think. Uh, you know, that Eric Gray 94-yard touchdown, that's a Jarrett check. You know, he's, he's checking them into the right plays. and so. While the average fan may not see that, that's, again, why this staff, and, and Jerry in particular, I think, down the stretch of this season and heading into 2020, they're going to lean on what they know. And while maybe Brian Maurer has more upside. Maybe Harrison Bailey has a better arm. But if they can't diagnose what's in front of them, even with some of the mistakes JG may make, they're going to go with the higher floor, I think, versus the ceiling.
0: Well, and to your point, Jesse, Rob, I mean, you, you look at what the checks Jared makes in this game, that's the stuff he wasn't doing at the start of the year. You know, Absolutely. you go back to the Georgia State game and then the, the dynamic afterward, too many checks, too many bad checks, got him into wrong plays. Here in this game, he manages the game better, which as Jesse said, Rob, the stats don't bear it out. But from a game management standpoint, this is a sign of growth with Jared from the start of the year. That, that most people probably don't take a look at, and, and I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it until the rewatch.
1: Yeah, and that's a – if you're a Tennessee fan, that's a reason to hope that something we've all been talking about is second year in Jim Cheney's system, first time in his career. You know, he, he's been with the same offensive coordinator. You hope that what you saw at Vanderbilt versus what you saw against Georgia State, you know, he makes that same kind of progress in the offseason. And you know, I, again, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think that's reasonable to think that, you know, you'll see some growth from Jared just because of that.
0: Well, and, and again, Austin, on the offensive line, you saw you saw Tennessee take over. I mean, look, Vanderbilt's not very good. Tennessee was a better team. Tennessee's a better offensive front. Go take care of business. And, and that's what they did. You saw guards getting to the second level. One uh, had an early holding penalty, but but he held up okay out there. Um, You saw more K-Ron Calvert. You know, even though they played some different combinations in this game, you continued to see growth out of an offensive line. Do what? Jameer Johnson came in. Yeah. I
2: mean, because Wanye did get flagged multiple times. He got pulled for a couple series there. uh, And Jameer Johnson goes in. And, and, you know, while Darnell was battling that ankle and, and AP, you know, I think struggled specifically the back half of the season. He made that key peel block on Eric Gray's 94-yard touchdown. I yep. mean, if that block doesn't happen, you know, Gray, Gray doesn't have the, the hole to just explode there.
3: Well, they just – I don't they fired off the ball different in this game, in the run game, uh, than to me that they did really at any point all last season. I mean, they showed flashes at times, but there was more consistency uh, with that and, and getting to the second level um, with your offensive lineman. Uh, Again, I think really by the end of the year, while Wanye still had some mistakes, he, he was playing a little bit better. Darnell was bad on the ankle. k had come a long way. Trey was a force at the end of the year after being just kind of just rusty. I mean, he hadn't played football in a year and a half, um, early in the year. So, um, you know, I, I think that offensive line – really kind of showed up when they needed to down the stretch, whether it be pass blocking and, and, and a win against Missouri or run blocking in this game. Again, the whole offense um, and the whole team in general, to me, just kind of brother-in-lawed it each week. It was different aspects each week. And, uh, you know, the offensive line in this game, I you know, was as good as they were all year, in my opinion, especially what, with the run blocking.
1: And, Humber, I made, I'm, you made the point Vanderbilt's not very good, and I, and I agree, but, I mean, Tennessee hadn't been doing this to – to you know, bad defenses. You know, running for three hundred yards. So I mean, I don't, I don't discount that just because Vandy, you know, was not great. Tennessee hadn't dominated. You know, even the bad defense that they played the way that they did today. And I, I just thought it was a, you know, just another sign of growth that we saw from this team in, in, in the final two months of the year.
0: Well, and there's I, something, right. something to be said too when you have a, when you have a fifty-six yard touchdown run. It gets your offensive line going. You know, they had not had one of those plays. I mean, they they had not had a guy hey, we're going to get you to the second level. You finish the thing off. You know, Jesse, Dan had, had those kind of plays earlier in the year. Here in this game, they get him to the second level twice. And, yeah, there was a hole he could have drove – you could have drove a Mack truck through. They set it up for him. But Eric Gray finished both those runs, and I think that's something that's big for this offensive line's growth too.
2: Oh, oh for sure. And I think from a big picture perspective, kind of doubling down on what you and Rob uh, are saying here, to me, when you kind of zoom out, What was When you rewatch this game and the takeaways from, we've now talked about four or five weeks in a row now where Tennessee's done some really, really good things, and yet they've done some bad things that kept some of these games closer than they should have been. But Tennessee won them all, and that is the kind of growth that this program started and has started to show and what Tennessee fans are very optimistic and hopeful on that they'll continue to build upon in 2020 is, Tennessee was a bad team at the start of this year. Yeah, Vanderbilt was bad all year. Tennessee was pretty darn bad at the start. And yet they showed that they could strain. They could sustain. And so maybe they weren't perfect in every aspect of the game. But by the end of the season, you know, on the teams that they were quote-unquote supposed to beat, that Tennessee is supposed to, you know, have that W next to that ledger, they got that done. And – and. To, this game is just yet another example of that. They were penalized a million times in this game. JG's not that good when he's asked to throw the ball. Um, they're fortunate a couple times, I think, defensively. And yet they pretty comfortably you know, beat a, an in-state rival that they'd had trouble with the previous few seasons.
0: Yeah, it's a game you didn't feel like Tennessee at any point was going to lose. You no. Once Tennessee got the lead, they, they, they were in control. I, I thought that you talk about Austin, you talking about the offensive line firing off and and guys playing fast. I thought this this game kind of shows what Alante Taylor is. Alante Taylor's aggressive, good athlete, but for Alante to take the next step, he's got to improve his ball skills. He was in position to make plays. I thought he was more active than he had been in several weeks in this game, clearly playing Vanderbilt probably meant a little more to him from being out there. I mean, he was super aggressive both in the run and physical at the corner in position to make a couple of plays, Austin, that he didn't make, that when you spin it forward, looking for it, if he's going to be one of those guys on the corner and he's going to have to go win a job because there's other guys out there, he's got to take that, that, quote, next step and make more plays, which means his ball skills are going to have to improve. You're right. Uh, For me, though, But I thought he was good in this game. Don't get me wrong. I, I thought he was good. It's just the touchdown he gave up. He was in a really good position. He just didn't play the ball very well. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, the thing about Elante is, you know, you remember he didn't play – he had never really played DB.
3: I mean, playing DB in high school Coffee County and playing DB in the SEC for Jeremy Pruitt. A little you know, different. Night <laughs> and day. And so, I mean, like, he, he started his whole freshman year, kind of got in the doghouse at the start of last year. and And honestly, it was – Late in the year, where you know, in in particular this game, but you know, even before that, there was a couple of signs leading up to this, where he finally started to get a little little mojo back, and and started to kind of maybe have things click for him. You're right. He's got to have better ball skills, especially for a guy that started his career on the offensive side of the ball at wide receiver. But um, you know, I think more than anything, it's just about you know growth, maturity and experience and, and this is a, a kid that just hasn't played a ton of football at this level at that position again he did it as a freshman because he was forced to because they had nobody else but last year kind of got in the doghouse and by the end of the year at least it kind of you know, doggy paddled out of the
0: doghouse and, and and was you know playing better football i i do think it's going to be interesting rob because i think kenneth george jr may have the a- may have a say in the corner battle. I mean, I, I'm not saying he's going to beat out Bryce Thompson or Alante Taylor, but I, I think it may be more three corners as opposed to the thought process, you know, a year ago or early in the year. And how which,
3: much growth does Warren Burrell make in year two?
0: Right. But, you know, you, you had – once Bryce came back, it was Bryce and Alante was kind of the thought, and in Tennessee was a real big drop-off after that. I don't know that there's that big of a drop-off between those two guys and Kenneth George Jr. at this point.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you, same thing you're, The AP was saying about Elante, as far as, you know, Kenneth George, not playing a lot of football at, at that position either. And I think you could see growth in him. So I, I think that's a good spot. I think that's a good spot for Jeremy. He mentioned Burrell. I think that, you know, you've got – guys can't get comfortable there. I don't think Bryce and Elante can have the mindset that, hey, we're we're playing no matter what. I mean, I, I think they're going to get pushed, and I think they're in a good spot. And just one another note on the defense, which I know, Brent, you've talked about, and, but, and, and the announcers mentioned it, second-half adjustments that, that Tennessee made that really showed up at the end of the year. I get counting this. The last six games of the season, they gave up 35 points in the second half. Now, I know some coaches will tell you second-half adjustments are overrated. We, we've heard that. But, uh, I mean, I, I think that's – that shows you, you know, some not just that the staff can, you know, kind of do things, make adjustments on the fly, but the players are comfortable enough in, in the system now to where they can take that information that they get spit at them in, you know, 10, 10 minutes in the locker room and make it work in the second half on the field.
2: And a great example of that, Rob, is that Latrell Bumpus play early in the third quarter. I mean, the last couple of years against Vanderbilt, they've jumped out on Tennessee in the third quarter. Bumpus gets his paws on that basically trick, you know, as his play set up where, yeah, where, I mean, he's just got an army ahead of him, and Bumpus just gets barely his paw on it because he diagnosed the play quickly. You you avert disaster, and you kind of win the third quarter, and that's the game.
1: And another thing, another positive takeout of the defense, I know we all have – When you talk about concerns for this upcoming season, we've all talked about edge pressure, quarterback pressure. Where's it going to come from? Tennessee got five sacks in this game, and Daryl Taylor didn't get any of them. Uh, Roman Harrison Harrison. popped up. Uh, Karat Garland popped up. Kavaris Krauts got a half a sack. Kevon Bennett uh, got a sack. So, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that those five sacks against Vandy mean that we're overblowing the concern, but you you can see some guys flash there that that are going to be in bigger roles this year
0: yeah that's yeah that's a good point i I love the point too about the second half adjustments, Austin, because I don't think for this team it's just about the second half of each individual game. I think it's the second half of the season, you know I think that's part of the growth of this team is you know it wasn't just that guys suddenly got better in the scheme, they tweaked some things to to guy to you know to guys' skill sets and their ability that dialed into some things, and I, I think that's why this team got better the second half of the year. And while they were a better second-half football team uh, than they were, in, in some cases, a first-half football team, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Well, figuring it out in year two. You know, I, year two in the defense. But
3: figuring it out on the back end of the uh, this season, with, with, uh, you know, you, you mentioned several guys, whether it be Roman Harrison, Qobarish Crouch, Henry, um, several guys that were freshmen. I, I really think if Tennessee is going to take a step forward this year, that group, which will just be sophomores, have to really ascend into a leadership role. Because in my mind, that's where this team takes the next step. Because one, all those kids, you know, Q, Henry, um, you know, Wanye, they're all very smart kids. Um, you know, and I think they can be leaders as sophomores. Um, but, to, but to your point, you know, I think that you know, figuring things out, figuring what makes each kid tick, being able to, uh, you know, roll things certain ways to, to benefit, you know, a player or two, something that, that Jeremy and, and, and D.A. really were able to figure out late in the year. And this team played with so much more confidence defensively, um, you know, really that last month. You know, I thought, you know, there were several times they kept Tennessee in games when Tennessee was in a funk and either couldn't pass it or couldn't run it. Because they, they, was, there was really not a game where they just did both outstanding.
1: Man, th- this isn't exactly a controversial take. I mean, we all thought Henry T was a, a really good football player. That's one of my biggest takeaways from going back and watching all these games again. Because you know, we're in the press box, you don't always have the benefit of see, you know seeing replays in, in detail. You're, you're 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 taking notes. You're you're tweeting something out. Man, I mean, he's better than I even thought. That's one. That, I mean, that is literally one of my biggest you know things that I've come away from watching all these games over again in detail is just an appreciation for how good that kid has a chance to be. I mean, it's, it's off the charts.
0: Yeah. He's got, I mean, he's got a ton of ability. I mean, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, I knew he was good and, and had a good, you know, you know, really good first year, but that's a guy who was, I mean, he, he was, he might've been Tennessee's best defensive player, the back half of the season, Jesse.
2: Yeah, I would – I mean, maybe either him or Uh, But I think – I mean, I, Henry has legitimate first-round potential, and you don't throw that around, you know, loosely. I mean, he is a uh, bona fide future NFL player. And for him to, you know, have the knee injury, you know, and pop it back in and then come back in and play. He's got all the equipment on. You know, two weeks ago when we are doing the recap, I mean – Uh, the sky's the limit for him. And I I think, you know, he obviously came from an advantageous position in the fact that he played at a high school that played a very uh, similar scheme. He was used to kind of uh, in terms of the training and the practice uh, stuff, but he took that and ran with it. And he also just has the natural ability that he instinctively can read plays. And in Jeremy Pruitt's defense, that's a big deal, and that's, that's, that's extremely important. And so uh, I, I think there are huge things. I mean, I, I, it will surprise no one that Henry T. is probably going to be Tennessee's, potentially, you know, he and Trey Smith, best player, I think, in 2020. Yeah. One last shout-out I do want to give out in this game, though. End of the season rewatch here for the regular season. We have the Indiana Bowl game, you know, to kind of cap this series. But each and every week, some other defensive lineman has stepped up and made plays. Hadn't always been the same guy. One week it's been, you know, Bumpus. Another week it's been Aubrey Solomon. Maybe it's been Darrell Middleton. A couple times this season it was Matthew Butler. This was another one of those games, you know, and Matthew Butler was good in this game. And the fact that Tennessee gets all these guys back plus Emmett Gooden, you know, I don't think any of them are, are superstars like we, you know, we just talked about in terms of what Henry T. could be at, at the inside linebacker position. But they are all above-serviceable players who, on a given week, one of them can make enough plays to be a game-changer. And that's what Butler was in this game. I mean, he had tackles for loss, pass deflection, a couple quarterback hurries, and that helped the defense get off the field on third down multiple times.
3: It's the first time in a I mean, you know, the defensive linemen, you know, because they have, as you said, not spectacular – Players at that position, but really, really solid players at that position every week. You know, if so and so has a down game, somebody else of equal talent could step in and 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 steady and, and steady the ship, so to speak.
1: Yeah, Hubbard. It's the first time in a long, long time Tennessee has had quality depth on the defensive line in the two deep, or you know, maybe even you know, could stretch it a little further than that. I mean, I, I think that's one of the just one of the biggest things you can point to of how Jeremy has you know. Raised the level of this roster, to where you're no longer battling, you know, Vanderbilt and Kentucky, and you know, for and Missouri in the, the bottom of the SEC.
0: Well, and they were a group that still has plenty of room to grow and are going to improve for sure. But because of how they played this past season and how they played throughout the stretch down the stretch, season, since he didn't have to sell out in blitz all the time, they could play coverage on third and six and still get quarterback pressure early in the year. They were having to bring blitz every time on third down in an effort to try to get off the field. It was feast or famine. And because of the growth of the defensive linemen and those guys you guys just mentioned, Tennessee didn't have to do that. So big win for Tennessee to to keep the momentum going. We'll talk about the Indiana win. We'll talk about the onside kick and the bowl win coming up next week. But this was Eric Gray's day. And, again, continued growth and consistency – from Derek Ansley's unit as the Vols beat Vanderbilt. Hey, in East Tennessee, you need a reliable heating and air system designed for your home and our climate. You need a team that's trained and held to the highest of standards. You need solutions, not sales pitches. Many heating and air companies in Tennessee, but there's only one name you need to know. That's Blue Water Climate Control, family-operated, veteran-owned. And right now, if your system is in need of a major repair, you need to contact them. Get them to send out one of their experts to tell you what you need. Maybe you need a whole new system. Maybe it's a simple repair. Maybe it's something in between. Their experts are going to tell you exactly what you need, let you know the best way to go about improving your indoor air quality and the options that are available for you. That includes financing options such as same as cash and rent-to-own. Give them a call today at 865-299-2290 or visit bluewaterclimatecontrol.com to make an appointment. Blue Water is an authorized dealer for American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning. For Austin Price, Rob Lewis, and Jesse Somerton, I'm Brent Hubs. Thanks for joining us on this Season Rewind podcast, and have a great rest of your Wednesday, everybody.